Happy New Year! You are listening to Talking Up, an interview show dedicated to writers and authors working on issues of social justice, equity, and the systems that make up the charity sector. Guests are talking about their reporting and research, and listeners will have the opportunity to hear writers talk about their work and understand what's driving it and get to know them a bit more personally. Welcome to Talking Up with host Gail Pico, Editor-in-Chief of The Charity Report. A contemporary multimedia storyteller, Drew Hayden Taylor has written more than 30 books and screenplays and scores of columns and essays. He's a theater performer and director, actively expanding the boundaries of Indigenous literature. His most recent novel, Chasing Painted Horses, was published in 2019 and named one of the year's best books of fiction. This year, he has written the foreword for What Comes from the Spirit, selected work of Richard Wagamese, and written the foreword and an essay in the fourth of his Me series, called Me Tomorrow. Taylor's writing is, as is the man himself, engaging, funny, and resonant, and he joins us today from his vacation in Cabo. Good morning. Good morning, Drew. How are you doing? Uh, I haven't decided yet. (laughs) Well, thanks for uh, uh, interrupting your holiday time to chat with us. No problem. No problem. Yeah, you doing all right, all things considered, in the in the context of the pandemic. Uh, yes, uh, things are going well. I've got this book coming out. I've got a bunch of things happening. Getting some R and R with my sweetie down here in Mexico. Um, no, all all things considered, it's a it's nice to see the light at the other end of the tunnel. Yeah, and uh, I, I I'd love to talk to you a little bit at the end about your book, your next book coming out. But I've got. Uh, You've written the forewords for two books this year, two really great books. Um, Richard uh, Wagamese's Collected Stories and also the fourth in your series, uh, Me Tomorrow. And I wanted to talk about both of those books. Um, Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. But can I talk to you about Richard's book first? Um, I mean, he was young when he died. He, he, he was only 61, and, and, and he was a really powerful, um, uniquely powerful writer. I think one of the most brilliant writers in Canada. Um, and as more people are exposed to his work, I think the more people will, will, will think that. And, but what kind of an impact do you think he's had on Indigenous writers? Oh, my goodness. It's hard to say. I mean, indigenous, the indigenous literary community is still fairly young and mostly mostly came out of uh, the late 80s, early 90s. So, um, you know, uh, when an oppressed people are getting their voice back, chances are they're going to write about being oppressed. And unfortunately, Richard was a product of colonial colonialization, colonization and, and, and that sense of um, bureaucratic oppression because he was a he was a scooped up kid. And he had to go through a lot of issues um, and adoption and stuff like that. And it influenced his writing, but in a, in a weird sort of positive way, it gave him a unique perspective on life, on, on being Indigenous from his unique journey. So I think, I think Richard uh, was one of our best, one of our foremost in illustrating the problems that came with colonization. And uh, I don't think anybody did it better. 
Yeah, and, and I think the circumstances of Richard's childhood and youth were such that it's a miracle that he even really survived all of it, that in and of itself. And and he never really had any opportunity to write, uh, let alone go to a writing class or anything like that. And and when he was accepting an award from the Writers' Trust of Canada in 2015, a pretty august uh, body, I guess, in this country, and he said it was reading that shaped him into a writer. He said, I read and I read and I read. And by sheer volume alone, I found out what a good sentence was and how a strong paragraph is constructed and how a great narrative arc is carried through the course of a long and lengthy story. And, um, you know, he's saying reading is a way to becoming a writer. And then uh, what do you think about that? And, and what was your... Oh, I, I, I actually cannot tell you how much I agree with that. I mean, um, for myself, right, I work in so many different genres. I'm a playwright, I'm a novelist, short story writer, creative nonfiction, um, documentaries, etc. And I've never taken a writing course in my life. My, my 34th book has just come out. And much like Richard said, I'm almost uh, to the same level. Everything I learned about writing, I learned from reading um, story, you know, even even not even literature, even pulp fiction. I read a lot of what could be called garbage as a kid, as most most teens do. And but every book was like a a brick in the foundation that became that on which I as a writer stood and and, and said, Richard. Um, every book I read unconsciously, subconsciously, taught me sentence structure, tone, uh, story arc, uh, character, all those different things. So that when I sat down, just by sheer osmosis of the of these stories and, and what worked, I knew how I think I knew how to write a story. Of course, uh, not, nothing takes the place of experience. <clears throat> um, so, yeah, I have to say that and when I talk with a bunch of young people. When I talk mm-hmm. with young people about the writing process, how to become a writer, I always tell them the I always say that one of the, the old adage: all good writers are good readers, and all mm. great writers are great readers. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, and you know who also says that? And he said, I don't know if you've ever had a chance. Is Stephen King? Stephen <laughs> King. <laughs> Stephen yes. King said. In fact, yesterday, yesterday I did an interview with um, Jesse Winke. About oh, yes. his book coming out, and we were, we were we were talking, and somebody asked us about uh, what really influential book would you recommend other people to read? And I said Stephen King's on writing. Did you really? It's not a great book. It is a fabulous, it's a fabulous book. book. Yes, I've read. And it I was very reluctant to do that because so many people say that it's sort of like the thing you say, but unfortunately, people recommend it because it's a, it is a great book. It is a great book. And then he, he does that chapter in there where he does puts his first draft in the chapter and then mm-hmm. he edits the first draft. That's really like brave. Like it's like, oh yeah, yeah, Stephen King is not on the first, you know, draft a great writer. He makes himself into one. Well, you know that that old saying, there's no such thing as a good writer, only a good rewriter. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and um so let's talk about Me Tomorrow, which has just been published and and is a collection of activists, educators, writers, youth, elders, uh, imagining Indigenous futures. And it's the fourth book in your Me collection. 
um, following me funny, me sexy, me artsy. And uh, did you set out to write a series when you started with uh, me funny? No, that that's the funny thing. I because of my my own personal experience uh, celebrating the indigenous humor in my work. I was, uh, you know, I'd spent several decades, um, you know, writing humor and exploring humor. But I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to do a book on humor? And I just didn't want it to be my perspective. Right. In my travels, I knew so many Indigenous people that were affiliated with, with humor. And I just thought, let's all get together and have a, have a party, have the literary equivalent of sitting around a kitchen table and telling funny stories about what is funny in the Indigenous community. And I did it once. I, you know, I spent a year collecting Indian jokes and I used the jokes to separate the chapters, all that sort of stuff, and sent it off to be published, having absolutely no idea if anybody would find it interesting. But lo and behold, it became quite popular. I remember traveling on the, um, the ferry between Victoria and Vancouver, and there's a bookstore on the ferry and the entire top level of the book of the bookstore was me funny wow. and i just thought that was so cool and then i mean after that happened i um i thought well is there some other aspect of the indigenous community that needs to be uh visited refocused re on explored i did native sexuality and so on and so on and it was this last one it was actually Douglas and McIntyre that came to me and said, do you think it's time for another me book? What would you like to do one on? And I had just a couple of years ago with them, I had published, I had, I had written a collection of indigenous science fiction short stories that I had, I had written called uh, take us to your chief. And I thought that's an interesting topic. Indigenous mm -hmm. futurism, where will we be in 20, 50, hundred years from now? And I just put it all into the, I just figured out who should I contact? Who would, who would have something to say about this? And uh, this is the final product. Yeah, I mean, you, you, there's a great range of people that are writing in this collection. You've got Amos Key from Six Nations, who I've met and who's so lovely, Lee Miracle, Romeo Saganash. And so w what did you think when you were going into your contact list when you thought about who to well, get? I, I, I mean, with, with every book, with every one of the me books, I have my wish list. That I thought, wouldn't it be great to get this person? Wouldn't it be great to get that person? And you go in fingers crossed and you contact them. And usually you get 80 to 90% of who you want. Because a lot of people, when I pick these topics, think think they're important and have something to say about it. And um, and so I, when I was putting this book together, I was thinking about topics. Who can I get to talk about language? Who can I get to talk about education? Who can I get to talk about politics? Who can I get to talk about environmental rights? Who can I get to talk, um, so on and so on and so on. And I would make my, not even a list, one or two people, and I would contact them. And I have to say the vast majority thought it was worth their time and their effort and wanted to um, uh, contribute to it. And I was really delighted and really honored. It's a great group. It is a great group. And they are even greater as together, you know, as a group of people, they are just, a, it's a great uh, body of work there. And what I thought was really, really cool, too, is we have Autumn Pelche, right? The, uh, the teenage water warrior who's reminiscing about what, what the world might be like when she's a grandmother. Wow. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's really, it's really great. Um, now, what do you, what are the contributors of me tomorrow telling us about tomorrow? In um, a nutshell. 
And what's that? In a nutshell. Well, one of the things I was so delighted, same when I did Me Sexy, for example, or something. Um, because of all the issues with mid- uh, missing and murdered Indigenous women and um, uh, sexual abuse and all that sort of thing, um, when I was putting the book together, I was expecting a lot of a pain, a lot of anguish. Yet when that book came out, I'd have to say three quarters to two thirds of the episode of the issue of the issue of the essays were positive, even funny. And to me, that just represented the resilience of Indigenous culture. And with this one. I was expecting to see some doom and gloom, but I'd have to say half to two thirds were positive. Looking at right. yes, we have problems. This is how we deal with the problems, and this is where we'll be. So, yeah. I, I I was really delighted that a good chunk of it was was, was positive. That yes, you know, a um, uh, hundred years ago they thought we were called the the disappearing Indian, the vanishing Indian, but we haven't vanished. We're not disappearing, and mm-hmm. we're going to be here, and we're going to be stronger a hundred years from now. And I found that resilience just so affirming. Yeah, it, it yeah, it's great to read. I mean, it's great writing too. Um, now, in your foreword uh, to Richard uh, Wagamese's book, you wrote, and you said this somewhat tongue in cheek, that uh, we're experiencing a contemporary Indigenous literary re- renaissance. And I thought, there now, somebody has said it, because I we've been do, we do a lot of book reviews, we do a lot of popular analysis of popular culture, and I've we've been noticing like the the the, the ton of fantastic indigenous work that's coming out. I mean, in books in every genre, in children's books, nonfiction, historical nonfiction, graphic novels, novels, poetry. And um, uh, there's a new art book on Christy Belcourt's work coming out in a couple of weeks. Um, not even talking about the television and the music. And so um, <clears throat> you've named it. What's happening? Like there, there's a there's a huge amount of talent coming out of the Indigenous community right now. Well, for me, I I mean, just because I, I have a, a specific perspective on all this. Um, I think it began uh, in the late 80s with uh, the production of a play called The Red Sisters by Thompson Highway, which right. took Canada by storm and broke open the, the, the doors for Indigenous theatre. And from there, there was an explosion of um, Indigenous theatre, novels, short stories, poetry, etc., just exploded. And the thing being, <clears throat> it was always there. Native people, Indigenous people are inherently storytellers. Right. Right? Uh, you've heard, you, you know, I, this is my 34th, 34th book, and uh, you've heard me say I've never taken a writing course in my life, but I grew up surrounded by storytellers. That is very easy. And that's one of the reasons theater was so popular as that catalyst because theater is the next logical progression of oral storytelling, the ability to take the audience on a journey using your mind, your body, and your imagination. Um, prose is a little more difficult. You have to understand how this English language works, mm-hmm. how prose works inside and outside, you know, and it's, it, it, it's a little more complicated. Yeah. Um, yeah. But we've always, we've always had stories to tell. I think right now, um, it's just that we're now feeling not so much comfortable, we're feeling a need, a right, an obligation to tell our stories and put down that, that this history of the last couple hundred years and 
you know, those who don't remember the past are condemned to relive it. So we're making oh. sure people remember that past. And um, so uh, a bunch of us are, we're, 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 we're just, I refer to us as contemporary storytellers. Right. And we're just telling those stories in, all, in new and, and, and interesting and contemporary ways. There was also a little show called Dead Dog Cafe that ran on the CBC One from 1997 to 2000. And that... Um, I mean, it was uh, hilarious. Um, there was. I was wearing. I was wearing my Dead Dog Cafe T-shirt a couple of days ago. I saw that on Twitter, and I thought, "Wow, that's a that's an old T-shirt." For, well, you know, that's a authentic T-shirt. But I mean, there was Gracie's authentic traditional original recipes. There was Friendly Bears Blackout Bingo, the authentic Indian name generator, which was actually my personal favorite when you would hear the spin of the wheel um so you were a writer on that show no i was not tom wrote them all he wrote them all he wrote them all i was a guest star on one episode they did a they did a series uh, a part of it called what famous people do when they're not being famous i've lost a bet i've lost a bet now i'm sorry but yes sorry. those are all thompson uh, tom oh. king's uh, stories he wow tom king wrote that whole thing that is really really spectacular that the, he that that would come out of one uh person um and that is amazing you know when you consider the writing teams that comedy shows have it's uh, that is an incredible accomplishment but i will ask you because you can be funny too right uh, <laughs> and that's how does humor fit us fit into helping us deal with horrible things well it actually goes back to an elder I, I i met on the blood reserve in alberta a long time ago and i was dealing with trying to be you know during during that the first couple of decades of the contemporary native literary renaissance almost all the stories coming out of the first nations community dark, depressing, bleak, sad, and angry. Yeah. Because again, when an oppressed people get their voice back, they're going to write about being oppressed. And I wasn't happy. I I didn't know if I, that was the stories I wanted to tell. And I was talking with this elder and he said that in his opinion for native people, humor is the WD-40 of healing. And I heard that and I loved it. Humor is the WD-40 of healing. That is so cool and so true. Yeah. Um, that <clears throat> I was much more interested in the healing aspect of it. So, um, and I have been to over 150 First Nation communities across Canada and the United States. And everywhere I've been, I've been greeted with a laugh, a smile, and a joke. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to illustrate this. I wanted to represent it. I wanted to celebrate it. So that's why I sort of got into the world of humor. Now, you've been working on a book. In 2020. I've been working on a whole bunch of books. Yeah, well, you've got one coming out. Let's focus on that one. What, what's coming out next? Oh, next? Yes. Um, you're, you're, you're really jumping the gun here. I haven't actually signed the contract that's waiting for me oh, when I get home. Oh, okay. Well, technically then. <laughs> in, in theory, uh, I've, written, <laughs> I've written a book. Uh, it's an Indigenous horror book called Cold. Cold. Yes. 
That's and brilliant, Cole. I know. And <laughs> what is so flattering, and again, you're as I said, you're jumping the gun here a bit. I haven't, I haven't actually signed the contract, but um, McClellan and Stewart liked the uh, my manuscript so much that they are offering me a two book deal. They want a sequel to it immediately. So it's like, ah, I have to come up with a sequel once we finish. Uh, we, we're just starting editing uh, the book, putting the book together. So, um, uh, yeah, so now I, yes, yeah, so I have a two book deal, uh, sort of, as I said, indigenous horror. So like an indigenous X-Files. That's brilliant. I mean, it's even in that one name, like Creole Chris Montesante on the, on, on the Soprano said, you know, for a horror movie, I mean, this is a book, you got to have one name. You know, like Jaws or Jaws. Yes, <laughs> it's perfect, right? And cold. Well, yeah, of course. Why well, for me, you? right, one of the things I like as a, as an indigenous writer, yeah, I like exploring genre fiction. My very first novel was a native vampire novel. My second novel was a was a genre of fiction I never even heard of until I read it in the reviews. It's something called magic realism. Um, right. And then I did a, I, and then I did a collection of uh, science fiction short stories. My third novel was a, um, a literary novel, and then my fourth one is going to be a, a horror novel. So I love playing with genres. Tom Tom King, right? When he's not writing award-winning fiction and nonfiction, his hobby is murder mysteries. I'm so thrilled that you were able to take your time, take some time to talk to me today about your work. I've been a big fan for ages, and oh, you uh, say that to all your writers. So right now the books are Richard Wagamese's collected stories with a foreword from Drew Hayden Taylor and Me Tomorrow with both a foreword and an essay from Drew Hayden Taylor. Plus you can avail yourself of a marvelous list of back titles. Thanks for being with us today, Drew. As we say in Mexico, gracias. Ah, bueno. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for this episode of Talking Up. The program was produced by Terry Carter with original music from the Fortan Electrosonic Laboratory. Be sure to join us again next week for another exciting edition. And if you're interested in keeping up to date, until then, visit us at thecharityreport.com. Thank you.